Well, as was mentioned, this is the last week of our Breaking Through series, which uh, we've been looking at for the last number of weeks as Joshua and the Israelites have been journeying into the promised land, this land that God had promised to them generations earlier, a land that had been prepared for them, they were finally stepping foot into. And if you're with us last week, you'll recall that we finished off at the end of chapter 8, where... Joshua leads the nation to this, this town called Shechem, which is found at the foot of Mount Ebal. And when they get there, on top of that mountain, they built an altar and they offered sacrifices to God. And after the sacrifices were offered, Joshua wrote the law of God, physically wrote the law of God on the stones of that altar. And so that it would be a memorial, it would be remembered for that present generation, for the generation to come. This was all part of a, of a covenant renewal ceremony, as they call it where they were agreeing to abide by the promises, by the covenant of God's law. They were committing themselves to that. And as we talked about as well, that law was the basis and the expression of their duty and devotion of their relationship for him. And in this covenant, they were basically declaring that you will be our God and we will be your people. Now that's where we left off last week. And then following chapter 8... When we hit chapter 9, we're going to kind of hit the fast-forward button because we enter into this long section in the book of Joshua that covers about seven years. And if you read through it, which I encourage you to do at home at some time, when you read through it, what you're going to find is a whole lot of battles, a whole lot of conquering of the land, dividing up the land, and settling the land, which is about a seven-year period from Joshua 9 right up until the end of the book of Joshua. Now, they entered into a time of rest after they've conquered and settled the land that God had, de- had prepared for them. And that time of rest is interrupted when Joshua, near the end of his life, around the age of 110, calls all of the leaders back to Shechem, where they were in chapter 8. He calls them all back to Shechem for his final address. And we find this in Joshua chapter 23 and 24, where he gives this final address which recounts God's provision and guidance for them, going all the way back to Egypt, back before that, to the calling and through Egypt and through the wilderness and through the Jordan and through Jericho and through conquering the land. He recalls God's hand upon them that led them through all of that. But then he tells them there was work yet to be done. It is not finished. We are in this time of rest where we are in the land and settling in the land, but there is work yet to be done. And so after stating his case for God's provision and protection all of these years, we come to what is probably the most famous verse in the whole book of Joshua. Maybe even for some, your favorite verse in the entire Bible. We come to Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, where Joshua says to all of these leaders who are assembled at Shechem, he says to them, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this very day whom you will serve whether you will serve the gods of your ancestors, the gods that they served on the other side before we crossed the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are currently living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You've probably heard this verse before. Joshua is drawing a line in the sand for them. He's saying to them, if you have not already done so, if you have not made this full commitment with your whole self, your whole will, with your entire being, if you have not yet made that commitment, the day has come, the time has come to make a choice. And as a leader of this nation, as a good leader, he sets the example and he declares, as for me and my family, we will be the first to step across that line because as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Now this is an important declaration. 
It's an important declaration that Joshua sets before the nation, but it's also one, it's also a question that a lot of us can resonate with as well as we look at our lives, as we look at our homes and our families and the people in areas in which we have influence. I think that's why quite often you can walk into somebody's house and you'll see, you'll see a picture or a plaque like this hanging on their wall. Or even on Facebook, people will post this verse to their Facebook page as, as a statement of declaration that this is the decision that I have made, that my family and I have made. Now on this particular day in Joshua 24, Israel affirms this commitment again. It, it amounts to the third time in the book of Joshua that they have reaffirmed their allegiance to God. And then the book of Joshua ends, and then in chapter 24, and we get to the book of Judges. And what happens to the book of Judges? They wander away from God again. Judges is about this, this wandering, this pendulum of close to God and away from God, and close to God and away from God. And, and when, I, when I read this, and I look at their journey from, from, from Egypt to the wilderness, to the promised land, and then to the nation of Judges, I'm like, are you serious? Like, like again? Like, they just swore allegiance for the third time in the book of Joshua alone. Like, like what is going on with this? Well, think about our own lives. Have you ever committed to something and then soon realized you lacked maybe the knowledge, the ability, the, the skill to complete that? I don't know. If you're like me, you've got some home repair projects that are undone. <laughs> you, you repair the room, but then the baseboards never quite go on, right? You put the cupboards on, but they kind of... A little crooked, maybe. Half-painted walls, maybe. Crooked countertops. We have these home repair projects. We get into them. What about going into a recipe? You open up a new recipe, and you get halfway through, and oh, man, that key ingredient is missing. So much of my childhood was left on my BMX bike, riding from my house to the store with mom's instructions to buy butter and hurry because something was about to go in the oven, and she needed the ingredient. <laughs> many, many trips on my bike to the store and back to get that key ingredient because we didn't have what was needed to finish what was started. Or maybe you've bought a new phone lately and you have no clue how to use half the apps that are on that thing. Somebody wanted them, somebody got them, but you have no clue how to use all the things that show up on your phone, all those features. Well, in our walk with God, I think the same thing can happen. Where we make this genuine commitment, but then when we have to move from words to action, over time, we can come to realize that we lack some of the knowledge. We, we lack an ability. We lack the guidance required to continually remain successful in that. And it's quite common for people in their Christian faith to, to reach this point where they just say, I just feel stuck. I feel stuck. I feel like I'm spinning my tires. Other people will say, well, I feel like I'm starting to slide backwards a little bit. I'm not even just staying still. I'm actually falling backwards a little bit. Now, when we struggle, I, I don't often find that it's a problem with the sincerity of people. People are very sincere, I believe, and very sincere in the commitments that they make. Rather, I, I think sometimes the understanding comes in, in in the problem of the roadmap that they have, understanding how to read that map, understanding the equipment that they have with them and, and how to utilize that equipment so they can be successful upon that journey. And so with that in mind, I want to continue the conversation we started last week where we talked about the role that duty and devotion play in our relationship with God. And at the end of that message, I talked a fair bit about this, this devotion idea, about, about loving Jesus and that being the root. If you love me, you will obey me, it says. So I want to continue that conversation, but take, take a step back and, and, and look at it a bit more of a practical insight so we can understand in, in practical ways what it might look like for us to find expression to find what it means to, to live out a life 
that expresses love and duty and in devotion to God. And therefore, we can maybe get unstuck if we are stuck. And then we can have the tools or understand at least the tools with us to help us grow in our relationship with God. So what we're going to do is actually jump out of the book of Joshua. We're going to jump out of the book of Joshua right at the end of it as it is. And we're going to jump into the New Testament where we find a story where an expert of the law, one of these people who was supposed to be an expert in these rules that govern our relationship with God, he comes to Jesus asking for a clarifying question on how best to do that. Now, it's the passage we read earlier in the service today. You'll find it in, in Mark chapter 12, in, uh, starting in verse 28. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab a pew Bible. It'll be found on 824, page 824 in your pew Bible there. And as you find that page, this is an encounter that takes place near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. And so, to date, he's had many confrontations, many conversations with these religious leaders. And quite often, these Pharisees would come to him and they'd ask him malicious questions, trying to trip him up, trying to, trying to catch him in something, trying to find some little thread they could pull on by which they could use to condemn him. But so far, to no avail, because every time they do this, he answers them with wisdom. He answers them with insight that, that, just, that just illuminates the core of the issue and they're not able to catch him. And so the leaders, these religious leaders, are becoming increasingly frustrated. But there's one here who isn't so much frustrated as much as he is intrigued. Because he's actually impressed with what he's hearing and seeing from Jesus. He sees that Jesus answers these questions with wisdom. And so seeing Jesus as a source of wisdom, he comes to him one day to ask a question. No tricks, no traps, just an honest question. And so he asks Jesus, of all the commandments... Which one is most important? Now, this is a big question. Which one is most important? He's not just talking about oh, those Ten Commandments. Of those Ten Commandments, Jesus, which one? Which one is the most important? And he's not even just referring to, to the Torah, the, the, sort of the first five books of the Old Testament that would be considered the law that they'd follow. See, remember, this law, this, these commandments were the basis of their relationship. This is the basis of how they knew to show and express duty and devotion to God. And so that was important to them, but it had become so complex because by this point, by the time that this, this teacher of the law is asking Jesus this question, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, had dissected and defined this law to the point where there are now 613 commands that they were trying to abide by every moment of every day. There were 248 positive ones, thou shalts, if you will. And there were 365 negative ones, those you shall nots. And so he's coming to them. And considering this vast number of, of commands, it's a very reasonable question. Can you simplify this for me, Jesus? I'm not asking you to put them in order of what's first, second, third, fourth, fifth. What I'm asking you is which one is primal? Which one is so fundamental, the fundamental command that everything else hangs on it? Now, understanding the sincere nature of this man's question and that this man wants to walk faithfully with his Lord and that he is saying, for me and my household, we will follow the Lord and I want to do that to the best of my ability, which is the nature of this question, Jesus responds to him. And he says this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, this is familiar to the Pharisee. This is a combination of two very well-known Old Testament passages. This first idea of loving God, found in first written in Deuteronomy 6, or this referred to as the Shema. 
It's this profession, this core statement of faith that, that devout Jews would recite twice a day as part of a time of prayer. So he's familiar with this. And the second part of loving your neighbor, that, that's a command of how they were to live in the land in which they had settled, in which they were to control and be in. They, 